I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we look to the world of leadership and some of the skills that great leaders cultivate, how they can help us in our relationships with God and others leading into this new year. tell you guys um not to brag or anything but i have the best date for new year's eve this year you want to know you want to know about my date for new year's eve december 31st everybody welcome to episode 86 good to be with you glad that you could join me today or this evening wherever you are whatever you're doing let's get into our peak pit and plug but before we do that uh, happy new year this is coming out in the new year so happy new year and merry christmas still i believe um this comes out um going into um christmas weekend or not not christmas weekend the feast of the baptism of the lord weekend so still technically christmas so merry christmas happy new year um thank you for listening uh if you have not yet done so can you please share this podcast with a friend and please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it all of those things highest compliments that you could pay me in this podcast i'm so grateful for all of your continued listening uh we have about on average about a thousand listeners um subscribers to our podcast feed and that is pretty incredible so there's a lot of you out there uh follow us on instagram at mana food for thought um check out our website manafoodforthought.com our blogs all of that stuff there and share it with somebody uh remember you can support this podcast for as little as one dollar a month all tax deductible donations um and help us pay help me pay for the cost of this podcast so anyway and you get some perks some perks but with the perks let's do peak pit and plug so my peak for uh, this episode is that progress is continuing to be made on our home all of the things that others have damaged in visiting our home and trying to fix the original situation have been remedied and we have estimates for all of the final repairs so um, the insurance gave us a settlement and is um, lower than what is needed to fix everything so they're uh, reviewing for uh, hopefully approving some kind of supplemental approval and settlement to cover the rest of the damages uh, however we will be able to you know i think make it work no matter what happens so um progress being made hopefully when you hear this this episode it's even further along so continue to pray for that so that we can be home another peak is uh, my word of the year this year um, which is going to be in my plug as well if you don't have a word of the year Um, my word of the year this year is limitless and I got it with just a word of the year generator, uh, which is not normally how I get it, but there's a couple different ways you can get one. And it just, when I saw it, it just struck me so to my core. It was like, yes, this is what 2021 is going to be, what the Lord is going to do and how you need to have kind of a radical sense of trust in the possibilities to not limit God and the possibilities that he um, that he has for you. So uh, just a very beautiful word that I've been sitting with, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does uh, in this coming year. So um, my pit was, how do I say this? I was in a difficult professional situation recently. Um, I won't say what professional area, which one of my roles or jobs it involved, but it was very unpleasant and it was not resolved very well. And it kind of informed how I want to talk about Uh, what I want to talk about this podcast episode. 
And it also is informed by the plugs that I have for you. So there's two books that I recently finished. One is called Scaling Leadership. Uh, and the other one is um, a C.S. Lewis book called Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. Uh, and so those two books are in the show notes. Um, highly recommend them both. They sound like very different books. One is on kind of how to be a good leader out there in the world, and the other is um, on prayer. But I found a lot of similarities to one another and to kind of that difficult professional situation that I found myself in. Um, so we're going to talk about all that um, for this podcast. Um, but I also want to recommend that you go to wordoftheyear.me. And if you don't know who Jen Fulweiler is, she was a former atheist uh, programmer who became a Catholic convert speaker and now stand-up comedian who has a special on, I believe, Amazon Prime. But she continues to use her programming skills to good use, and she has this word of the year site that generates a random word for you. But embedded in the code to the website are all these prayers to the Holy Spirit, which is really awesome. That's actually not just like plug and play, but there is like a, an invitation for divine inter intervention, which is why I think the word that I received from it was so um, appropriate and powerful when I saw it. So word of the year dot me, that's my plug for you, um, along with these two books. So going into this new year, you know, I have a lot I want to say, and a lot of ways I've been struggling to kind of link these ideas. I know they're linked. I know they are. So if this seems kind of like a haphazard, random, you know, topic to topic, jumping around podcast, then that's what it's going to be. But yeah, I'm reflecting on a new year and a new year is always an opportunity for growth. Um, but I think that growth is limited to our our ability to be vulnerable and to invest time in the in people and relationships rather than projects, hobbies, tasks, um, and to accept criticism um, so that we can grow, so that we can have a, a greater sense of self-awareness. Um, we normally don't think of those things as like um, New Year's resolutions, right? We think of things that we can do. And even when COVID happened, now nine months ago, when we went on our original lockdown, almost 10 months ago, um, what happened first? It was all about, okay, how do we create a new sense of tasks that's going to make this better? So maybe you get fit, you learn a new hobby, you learn to knit, you know, you use Zoom to connect with people. It was all this kind of do, do, do. And with New Year's resolutions, it's often the same. You know, I want to make more money. I want to lose weight. I want to do X. But very rarely do we say like, okay, I want to be more authentic in my relationships. Or I want to really grow in humility. You know, those aren't typical New Year's resolutions or goals. Um, we tend to want to do like, okay, let me do one thing a month, or we even do this with Lent. We kind of think about all these different add-ons and extra tasks and projects that we can take on to become the type of people that we think we want to be. We think about tasks instead of relationships, and we think reactively instead of creatively. And this is what relates to my work situation. I, I did something, uh, or my professional situation, I'm sorry. I did something professionally, you know, with a, um, an organization I'm involved in. And um, it, it did not go, it was not received well by someone who is considered my supervisor. So they reacted very harshly via email and did not uh, reach out to me. You know, it was was more based on, you know, reacting to the task than kind of coming to me in the relationship and seeing like, you know, I didn't do this in bad faith. You know, I still to this this moment don't see anything wrong with what I did. Um, it was a very innocent, you know, um, kind of invitation to to people. Um, 
but without consulting this person, I guess they were they were very disturbed by that and uh, reacted very reactively. Um, didn't talk to me, just reacted. And I think, um, you know, and they may have had something going on, you know, uh, in their own life. I think when we're worried, when we're anxious, when change is happening, we often get too focused on what we should do rather than who we are becoming or who we could become as a result of these changes. And we tend to project those things outward. We tend to react uh, very reactively and not see it as an opportunity for creativity or deeper relationship. Um, you know, it's interesting. This this kind of happens in, in Luke chapter 10 when uh, Jesus is approached by a scholar of the law who stands up and tests him and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So he says in reply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. He replied to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And I read that and reminded me of the story of the rich young man. And the difference between these two things here is, you know, the rich young man asks something similar. He says, you know, keep the commandments. And Jesus says, uh, or Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, yes, all I've observed all these uh, from my youth. And he says, you are lacking in one thing. Go sell what you have um, and give it to the poor. And it says the man went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, it seems like they're both asking the same question and give the same answer about the commandments, doing what is asked, loving the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But there's a different reaction from Jesus. The one in Luke, Jesus says, do this and you'll live. But in, in Mark and Matthew, the story of the rich young man, that is similar to the scholar of the law, he says, no, go give up everything. And I think because there's, there's a certain intention here. The scholar of the law is asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so another way of asking this is, what kind of person must I become? What kind of practices must I put in place? And so Jesus tells him, you know, basically what you do. But when the rich young man comes to him, he's asking like, what do I do? What are the tasks? And so Jesus says, he tells him these things. He says, yeah, all, all of these I've done. I'm doing all this. This is my to-do list every day. And so Jesus recognizes you have an attachment to things. You have an attachment maybe to tasks instead of relationships. You react spiritually, maybe even in a positive way, but you are not going above and beyond. You are not really getting to the heart of what it means to devote yourself to the Lord. And so he gives this add-on, and that is really strikes to the heart of what the rich young man is struggling with. And so I think in all of this, it, it, it's encapsulated by this movement I think we all need to make in this new year, in our spiritual life, in our workplaces, in our relationships. And that's moving from a sense of duty to a sense of delight. Moving from duty to delight. And this comes, I, I believe, from, I've been reading a lot lately, but I think it's from this the C.S. Lewis book, um, Letters to Malcolm, um, when he talks about this shift that, you know, especially in... Um, in their world, I think he's talking to Malcolm about the Anglican tradition and the even more traditional tradition of Catholicism that dates back even further. We have a long myriad and list of devotions and spiritual tasks that we can do to uh, gain, you know, holiness or, um, you know, have a deeper devotion to God. But I think a lot of times they're presented to us as a to-do list, a spiritual to-do list. And they're not ever communicated to us with the substance behind them and what this devotion will allow us to do in a sense of who we are becoming, how we're becoming more deeply in relationship, having a deeper sense of intimacy with God. And I think that that movement and that shift or that, that kind of um, 
that paradox or spectrum between duty and delight is, is where we really need to be paying attention in the new year. Because, you know, the crisis mode of COVID that a lot of us have found ourselves in this past year, I think a lot of us reacted reactively. You know, what are the things I can do to manage this? Instead of seeing it as a gift in the sense, and I don't mean this in the gift like, you know, if you've suffered terribly as a result of this financially, you've lost people. That is not a gift. I mourn for you. I pray for you. I grieve with you. Jesus is grieving with you. There's nothing good about that, and he didn't want that. But I think just the overall situation in general, in terms of how we receive it, I think could very well have been received as a gift in the sense that it was an opportunity for change to happen in the way that we did life. And move from a sense of, well, I have these duties, here's my routine, here's the hustle that I go through day in and day out. And move more toward a sense of delighting, delighting in the things that really bring us joy, that really bring us a sense of mental and emotional health. And really drive us deeper in relationship with others. Because we were forced into the prime opportunity and situation to do that. We were locked in a household with the people around us. And a lot of the things that created hustle and bustle in our lives, for a lot of us, got played down. Some of you, it got amplified because you're an essential worker and all of a sudden it was all about that. Um, But I think this opportunity for all of us created a situation where we could really pay attention, not to the tasks and the reactivity of life, but to the relationships and what creativity the situation could have wrought in us. And, you know, it reminds me of, you know, people's work and and how, how the attitude we bring to work. Like, are you just showing up out of a sense of duty? Or do you still find opportunities and ways to cultivate passion, new ideas, really just be reminded of why you do what you do? I've seen so many people in my parents' generation and my my parents and and in-laws included, I think, doing things that they may not uh, love or that maybe don't connect to the real passion that they have. I could be wrong about that, but I see it a lot in my parents' generation and I see that playing out again in my generation of people doing things out of a sense of financial security instead of out of a sense of passion. And yes, there needs to be a practicality to life, like we have to survive, but we also need to not limit the way that God can provide and how he can create these opportunities for us. Um, And so, you know, it inspires me to ask these questions, like what would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you really stopped limiting God and the possibilities that he created? Instead of thinking about, okay, what jobs are available for me? What is the job that you want and how can you go create it? It's that type of shift. Like, how do we have this sense of delight, devotion, joy in what we do and not just look so reactively at the world and what comes before us? And I think we need relationships to keep us in check. We need relationships to keep us in check. This book, Scaling Leadership, talks about how an organization can only grow in correspondence to the highest uh, levels of the leadership and their capacity to grow. And that's why it's called Scaling Leadership. How do you scale it from being more creative and less reactive and then more relationship-based and less task-based? And I think we can apply that to our own lives. You know, are we just reacting to what happens? Do we have a to-do list to each day or do we have a sense of, okay, who do I want to be today and who do I want to connect with? And how are those relationships driving me to a deeper sense of delight in life and in what I've been called to do as my vocation, as my job, whatever it is?
In the book Letters to Malcolm, C.S. Lewis is writing to this guy Malcolm about prayer, and I love the way they speak together. It's so refreshing, but it's also very unusual for modern ears. They are arguing, but their arguments are not connected to them as persons. You know, they, they're like, you know, sometimes C.S. Lewis is just kind of railing into Malcolm and just like, that's a stupid idea. Like, I can't believe you would say that. And yet it doesn't affect their relationship because they recognize they're arguing about something or debating something. But their relationship is really what's valuable here, that they're seeking the truth together and they're not reacting to the task of figuring out the answer. But they're creatively discerning and exploring through their relationship what is a deeper understanding of what prayer is. You know, it goes back to this, you know, just because you're offended does not mean you're right. And I think too often we allow ourselves to react and get offended in our close relationships when really we're being invited into a deeper sense of intimacy and and leaning into those moments and saying, well, what do you mean by that? Because I receive it this way. Like, let's talk about this instead of just jumping to like, well, I'm hurt and I don't want to deal with that person. And we put up a wall. We put up a wall, become more reactive, more task focused because we have less relationships anchoring us in life. In the Scaling Leadership book, they recommend that if you want to do this, you need to have some sense of assessment. And so I would invite you to, to go explore this book, Scaling Leadership. I have the link in the show notes. And if you buy the book or even if you, you know, go to the website, um, there's a, a free assessment there to assess your kind of leadership capacity. And maybe you're not in a position to be a leader. I love assessments and stuff like this, but maybe you're not in a leadership uh, position in in life or in work, but um, it really tells you kind of how task and reactive um, focused you are uh, versus how creative and relationship focused you are. It's a very illuminating thing. You may need to buy the book to understand how to read the chart that comes up at the end, but you need some kind of assessment uh, that is um, unbiased that tells you where you're at. And then you need to look at that, that kind of truth in front of you and establish a clarity of vision. So maybe you take this assessment and you're like, man, I'm, I'm a really reactive task-based person. And so how do I want to change that? What do I want to do in this new year? How do I want to move from the sense of duty to a sense of delight in my relationships and in life? And then the next thing you do is you surround yourself with a team of people, kind of a board of directors for your life that uh, will give you feedback and help you be more self-aware. And this is where that relationship I want to emphasize between C.S. Lewis and Malcolm is so important. Find people you can be uncensored with who will not get offended, but who recognize that there's a deeper relationship between you that you're really working at. And it's not this kind of catered, perfect, Instagram-filtered interaction, but like, no, you know the real me, and I know the real you, or at least we desire that. And so let's set aside the reactivity, emotion-based, I'm right, you're wrong, or offended type of culture that we live in, this cancel culture, and not bring that into those close relationships. There are things that need to be canceled, 100%, absolutely. But our deep relationships are not those things, if they're healthy. And if they are healthy, they should be able to go into those uncensored areas or things that may be received by some people as offensive, but they're just part of our inner monologue that we're processing, and we need a trusted person in front of us that we can do that with. And so where can you do these things? Have this assessment, assessment, vision, and, and a sense of feedback so you can become more creative, more relationship focused. I would argue you could do this anywhere and everywhere in your life, in your workplace especially. Like that is a, a place where 
oftentimes there's a, a leadership dynamic, whether we're part of it, we are the leader, but where we can bring these leadership qualities to a higher sense of fruitfulness to the company we work for, and also to our own abilities and our own sense of delight in what we do and not just go to punch in and punch out. I think you could bring this to your church community, your parish. You know, are we reacting to what is happening in the world? Are we just trying to react to a need when it presents itself? Or are we really sitting down strategically as a church, as a ministry, whatever you're involved in, and saying, okay, no, how can we really be creative about driving deeper relationship and the opportunity for that with our community and especially ultimately with Jesus Christ, putting people in intimacy with him? You can do this in your family. You know, do we just react? Do we just do things together? Are we a task-based family? Or are we really going to sit down this year and say, okay, where do we creatively want to go as a family in 2021? What values do we want to embody and live out? And what specific goals individually and collectively do we want to try and achieve that go toward those values? And let all those goals not necessarily be task-oriented, maybe a deeper sense of becoming or a sense of virtue building, discipline building as a family to work toward those values and virtues. You could do this in your marriage. Take this assessment together and really talk about it and say, okay, am I reactive? Or, or if we just started going through the motions in our marriage, like how can we be creative about what the Lord is calling us to do? I mean, we're lifelong partners that are supposed to be helping one another get to heaven and sanctifying those around us through the love that we embody. Are we doing that? Is there a sense of delight in our marriage or has it kind of defaulted to a sense of duty because we're trying to be faithful to the vows, but we're just so tired or we're just so burnt out. Like, can we sit down and have some meaningful conversations about what 2021 can mean for us as a couple? And you could do that also in your friendships. You know, um, I, there've been many times in my own life where I felt like my relationship with my best friend, Jenna, who used to be on this podcast, was very strained. And when it came down to having a conversation with her, it always came back to this, my tendency to be task-focused and reactive in our relationship. And I always thought doing things together meant that we were good in our relationship. And that's not how Jenna experiences friendship and how she experiences real meaningful relationship. That took me a long time to learn, and it's something I still struggle with in, all, in a lot of my relationships. I tend to think like, okay, if we just do this thing together or if we're, you know, chatting, you know, in spiritual direction or if we're doing X like often enough, then our friendship is okay. But no, like if we're not having just that meaningful time to create life together, you know, to do life together, to be in relationship and just be friends and talk about things that are meaningful with no end goal or task to complete in mind then maybe I'm limiting myself if I'm not allowing those things to happen. Maybe I'm not really allowing deeper friendship to be cultivated. And ultimately, I think we can apply this to our relationship with God. If we're task and reactive focused in our relationship with God, then we're just going to have a laundry list of devotions and to-dos that we do every day. And they may be fruitful in the beginning because they're new, but they're not going to provide this sense of longevity and creativity intimacy and relationship with God that's really life-giving and delightful. Are you excited to pray? Do you get excited to pray when you sit down to pray? Is that something you enjoy that you delight in? Or is it something that kind of feels good and peaceful, but you still do more so out of a sense of duty? How can we do this? How can you in your life and all of your relationships, whatever you're involved in, in this new year, move from being less reactive and more creative?
Move from being less task-focused to more relationship-focused. How can you move from doing things out of a sense of duty to a sense of delight? And in the words of Marie Kondo, if it does not spark joy, then find a way to do it differently or root it out of your life and move in a different direction. I pray that as you receive this, that maybe this might result in a job change or a dramatic overhaul to your living situation, your relationships, your marriage. I hope this refreshes those things and maybe reminds you of what you truly want, what you truly desire out of life that would be truly delightful. I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good that you may dwell in the land and live secure. Find your delight in the Lord who gives you your heart's desire. I came across a beautiful saint. I looked up patron saint of leadership. And I know this saint, but he's often not associated with this formally. And that's Saint Aloysius Gonzaga. Um, he was a very young man. He died at the age of 23. He lived in the 1500s, born March 9th, 1568, died June 21st, which is his feast day, in 1591 at the age of 23. He's a patron saint of young students, Christian youth, Jesuit scholastics, the blind, and AIDS patients and caregivers. He was born the oldest of seven children at his family castle, and so he's very wealthy uh, in northern Italy, and he was part of the Duchy of Mantua and um, into the uh, House of Gonzaga. And so if you know, you know any kind of uh, Renaissance Italian history, those names should probably be very familiar. Um, his name, Aloysius, is the Latin form of Luigi. Um, which I always find it humorous when it says that, and those names are not at all alike. Um, but um, he was the son of a very princely family. He grew up in these royal courts and army camps. His father wanted him to be a military hero. But at age seven, he experienced a profound spiritual awakening. His prayers uh, began to include the office of Mary, the Psalms, other devotions. When he was nine, he um, went from his hometown uh, to Florence to be educated. And uh, at age 11, he was teaching catechism to poor children. He was fasting three days a week. He was pra practicing what's called the great austerities, those kind of ascetic practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. He met Cardinal Tr Charles Borromeo, the patron saint of this podcast, and he received his first communion uh, from him, which is super cool. Uh, when he was 13, he traveled with his parents um, and the Empress of Austria to Spain, and he acted as a page in the court of Philip II. And the more that he saw of court life, the more disillusioned with it he became. He was uh, finding relief, rather, in the lives of the saints. I want to stop here and kind of point to why I chose this saint. You know, a lot of these courts and military jobs and things of this time, it was all out of a sense of duty, a sense of this is practical, you should do this, it's honorable, here's what it looks like to live a courtly, stately, royal life. And he just wasn't willing to do that. He really cared about the substance, the creative ways he could share the word of Jesus and explore that in his own life, even from a very young age. And it drew him into relationship with others. Um, he ended up coming across a book about the uh, Jesuit missionaries in India. And that um, gave him the idea to enter the Society of Jesus, the, the Jesuits. And when he was in Spain, his um, decision became final when he was there in the court of Philip II. He um, contested with his father about this for about four years. And his father even tried to get, you know, eminent churchmen and lay people to persuade his son to remain in a normal vocation. 
But finally, Aloysius was persistent enough, he prevailed, and he was allowed to renounce his right to succession and was received into the novitiate of the Jesuits. Um, he, and as a seminarian, he was faced with new kinds of penances. Um, he had to accept different ideas about the exact nature of penance. He was actually told to eat more, to take recreation with other students. He was um, forbidden to pray except for the, the scheduled times. He kind of had to uh, reel back a little bit and really kind of enjoy the essence of relationship with God as it was being instructed to him um, to be obedient in the seminary. Um, but he spent four years studying philosophy. Um, the Saint Robert Bellarmine uh, was his spiritual advisor, and I believe that's the name of the theology college at LMU that I attended. So um, interesting connections to my own life from St. Aloysius. Um, but in 1591, uh, a plague struck Rome, and the Jesuits opened a hospital to help with that, and the superior general himself and a lot of other Jesuits um, personally served there. And Aloysius nursed patients, he washed them, he made their beds, and he eventually caught the disease himself. Um, he persisted with a fever, uh, even after he recovered, and he was so weak that he could scarcely get out of bed um, after he recovered from the fever. Um, but he maintained a great discipline of prayer even till his final days, and he, he knew he would die within the octave of Corpus Christi. Um, which is, you know, an eight-day feast that was celebrated more as an octave in the time of the um, earlier church, um, which happens, I believe, a few weeks after Easter Sunday. Um, and he did. Uh, that was three months um, before that that he predicted that. And indeed, three months later, he died during that octave of Corpus Christi at the age of 23. Um, it just struck me that this young man knew what his life was about. And he didn't care about all of the kind of the hustle, the to-do list, the tasks of life that were so valuable to people at the time that he knew relationship with God and he was willing to take that creative, different, um, not well-traveled path to authentic relationship with God and service to him. And so I don't know if this is something that you struggle with or something that resonated with you. I'd encourage you to ask for the intercession of St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Um, he just really resonated with me in researching this episode. And I think he just I don't know. I just have the sense that he has a special connection to this idea of moving from a sense of duty to delight because he did that in his own life. If that resonates with you, I pray that this episode would be of benefit to you, that you would be able to authentically look at your life and, and ask yourself, where have I kind of fallen into a pattern of routine and sense of duty that is not giving me joy and not bringing about real delight? Um, you shouldn't need to wake up any day and do something that doesn't get you excited, that doesn't fire you up. And maybe you need to get learn what it means and looks like to get fired up for the things you are doing, or maybe you need to abandon and change them. But I think ultimately, first and foremost, we need to apply this to our relationship with God in this coming year, this new year, and ask, how can I delight in the Lord better? And so I pray that when you hear this, maybe you change some of your New Year's resolutions. Maybe you stop making them or you make them even though you had planned not to. And really look at the substance of that relationship and all your relationships, relationships with other people, your marriages, your families, your workplace, all of the things you're involved in, and really use that measuring rod of duty or delight and place it up against each of them and ask the question, do I drop my nets? Do I try and transform this into something that is delightful? Do I allow God to do that? How do I do that? Or do I pursue something that really is delighting my heart 
and that I've always wanted to. I encourage you to do that. Anything is possible. This word already of limitless has just, it struck me so deeply that there is no limit to what God can do if I let him. And so if you're, you're thinking of all the practical reasons why you shouldn't do X or the thing that's kind of welling up in your mind, do not limit. Do not limit what God can do in your life this year. He will do amazing things if you let him. I'm praying for you. Pray for me. God bless you in whatever that looks like in your life, whatever this episode inspires you to do. I pray something. And uh, until I see you again or until we, you hear my voice next, I will be seeing you in the Eucharist. God bless you and Happy New Year. Thank you.